Welcome, and thank you for viewing our weekly sermon. I'm Pastor Malone, and I pray this message be a blessing to you and help you grow closer to Jesus. If you'd like to know more about having a personal relationship with Jesus or to connect with us as a church, please visit westacres.org. Thanks again, and God bless. Well, amen. Thank you so much, choir, and thank you, praise team. Uh, all the folks that play instruments, we are so blessed uh, to have everything we have here at West Acres. So blessed to have all the people we have here. And, uh, you know, uh, today it's, it's pretty interesting what we're going to read about in Scripture is that there was a need within the church. And uh, where did the church go? Did they go outside the church? No, they went within the church. And they found folks uh, to serve uh, for that given need. And we've had that today with uh, Brother Nate and also uh, Stephanie stepping up to lead in Rob's absence. Um, but thank you so much again uh, for leading us. Um, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 6. I know uh, Josh mentioned that earlier. Um, but Acts chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. And I want to speak on this subject today. Problems and priorities. Problems and priorities. Excuse me, the church has both of those things. Uh, we deal with problems, but we also have to keep our priorities in order. So once you've found your place, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word today, Lord, we are quite familiar with problems in the church. Uh, no church is exempt from problems. But Lord, we also recognize that you have given us priorities uh, to keep. You have order in your church. Uh, this isn't a place of mass chaos. Uh, this isn't a place where we just wing it. Uh, but Lord, we do things according to your word. And Father, I pray you'll open our eyes as uh, a church in the year 2023 who is accustomed to, to so many different things when it comes to church. We, we have so many presuppositions. We have so many expectations but Father, I pray all of those things will be in line with your word today. Father, I pray you'll please soften our hearts. And Lord, I pray you'll 
uh, please have our undivided attention. Keep this place uh, free and clear of distraction today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Again, the title of our sermon today is Problems and Priorities. We're going to see some of these things unfold in Scripture. But when I look back at my time as a student in Bible college and seminary, my favorite professors were the ones that, that first spent many, many years pastoring local churches. Uh, that should be a prerequisite, right? Uh, but my, my favorite professors were the ones that, that had real life experience. Uh, they didn't necessarily teach from a textbook, but they taught from life experience. They were very, very practical in their instruction. And I remember one of my professors saying this. He was speaking to a classroom uh, full of men preparing to be pastors. He said, men, your greatest challenges in the church aren't always going to be related to theology. Rather, some of your greatest problems in the church are going to be very little. And they'll probably concern things like the thermostat. And while that sounds so absurd, it is so true to life. I know at least somebody on our staff has had to deal with a the thermostat today. Um, but it's true. Most of our problems in the church are very, very small. Most of our problems in the church are very petty. However, the devil is very crafty. He can take those little problems and he can sow discord. He can sow distraction in the church. He is very good at what he does. Acts chapter 6 presents us with one of the first problems the church had to face. And while this problem was genuine and needed immediate attention, this problem had the potential to cause even greater problems within the church if it was not handled properly. That's why I'm so thankful for Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, because we are given such a, a wonderful and clear example of how to care for problems within the church while also keeping our priorities in order. So let's begin by looking at the problem in Acts chapter 6. Uh, verse 1, it said, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Notice when this problem occurs. This problem takes place when the church is growing. Uh, they, they said the number of Christians at this point in Jerusalem was probably over 20,000. Some believe it could have been as high as 30,000. 30,000 disciples in Jerusalem at this point. That is incredible. Uh, you know what that means? People were getting saved every single day. But it also means this. This problem arose during a fruitful time in the church. We often try to relate problems with churches that are dead or stagnant, uh, full of dry bones. Uh, but this problem took place in a thriving church. This problem took place in a growing church. But then comes in the complaint. This is a real church. It has complaints in it. There was an issue regarding the widows in the church. Not just any widows, but the Hellenists. And the Hellenists were the, the Greek 
Jewish-speaking Jews. Uh, That's what Hellenist means. It it means these folks were assimilated into Greek culture. They probably dressed more like the Greeks than they did uh, the Hebrews that remained in Israel. And these folks were indeed Jewish by heritage, but they lived outside of Israel. Now, how did these folks get outside of Israel? You read the Old Testament, we read about these things called exiles, where the Jews were taken to different places. And many of these Jews remained in the places they were taken, but they would still make the journey to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. So these folks probably spoke different. They probably dressed different. They probably had different customs. And these were the ones that they weren't receiving their daily rations of food. I'm going to talk about this in a little bit, but widows in this time, uh, they were needy. They were desperate. Uh, That's why Scripture gives so many provisions to care for widows. Now, some believe this neglect took place because of discrimination, because I just mentioned the difference between Greeks and Hebrews. Uh, However, when we look at the heart of this text, the heart of this text isn't focusing on discrimination. Uh, The heart of this text has to do with administration. Think about the church. It it had been growing so fast, such a large number of people in a small amount of time, but the the structure of the church remained the same. You had 12 men that were leading and caring for this super, mega, large church. Folks, do the math. 12 men cannot care for 20,000 people. It just won't work. Somebody's going to be left out, and it's not going to be intentional. Uh, So this was a result of rapid growth. I I guess you could put it in terms like this. This was a growing pain, a growing pain. Uh, Some of you all remember that as kids. uh, When you hit that growth spurt, your bones hurt uh, because you're growing so fast. You feel the pain of it. With that being said, what did the apostles do? The apostles did what every good church does. They had a church business meeting. Some of y'all are, y'all probably made up your minds. I just don't, I don't ever go to church business meetings. That is not in the Bible. I don't want to have any, I want to worship the Lord. Folks, we got business meetings from the Bible. Because that is what is taking place in the book of Acts. They are taking care of business. Taking care of business. Look at verse 12, uh, verse 2, excuse me. In the 12... They summoned the full number of disciples. They didn't have a calling post then, but they they summoned the the full number of disciples. And they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Now, serving tables, what does that include? Uh, This wasn't just serving food. This wasn't just wiping down tables. But this was a great administrative task. In fact, that same word for table has to do with money table in the Greek. So serving tables in this capacity, it had to do with handling money. Uh, They had to take in funds. They had to budget funds. They also had to go out and buy all these supplies that were needed for this distribution. So that would be a journey then. Uh, They didn't have pickup trucks. They didn't have all those good things. They didn't have online orders. Uh, They didn't have two-day delivery with Amazon. They didn't have those things. Uh, These guys had to take their time. They had to go get all these supplies, bring them back, ration them, then distribute them. Folks, who wants to sign up for that? That is a full-time job. 
It probably took a great amount of time and energy and thought to take care of this administrative task. And this wasn't like taking care of a, uh, like a women's Bible study or a women's Sunday school room at Westacres. The church was massive. The number of widows we're probably dealing with was in the hundreds, if not the thousands. If you read verse 2 closely, notice this. Notice the Holy Spirit is all behind this verse. The 12 apostles were not opposed to serving tables. They didn't say, it's not right for us to serve tables. They didn't say that. They said, it's not right that we should give up preaching God's word to serve tables. The Holy Spirit is all behind that verse. This task was not beneath them. In fact, the the disciples probably felt compelled to take care of this because they had been been given the perfect example of service by the Lord Jesus. Jesus told them this, I have not come to be served, but I have come to serve. And Jesus, he really did serve. He even served so much, he washed dirty feet. So when you put the example of the Lord in context, these disciples, they they probably felt compelled to take care of this need. And and many people believe this. This is what a lot of church leaders fall uh, victim to, uh, that they're not going to be able to take care of it like I can. i got to take care of this. They're going to mess this up. No, we don't see that happening right here. So it says this. If they took on this task themselves, they would be causing a bigger problem. If the disciples took ownership, if they had to be hands-on with this task, if they did not delegate this task, the church would be facing bigger problems. And let me explain. If the apostles were to serve the neglected widows, they would be neglecting the Word of God. If they took on this task, they would be giving up another task You've probably heard me say this before. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something at the same time. In addition, verse 4 lets us know that they would also be neglecting the ministry of prayer. Look at verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Prayer and the ministry of the Word are absolutely unnegotiably priorities for church leaders. This was the case for the apostles. This is the case today for church leaders such as pastors. Notice they said that we will devote ourselves. Interestingly, that word in the Greek means this, that they would attend constantly to something. They would attend constantly to prayer and the ministry of the word. In pastoral ministry, prayer and preparation, sermon preparation, devotion to the Word, it never ends. There are no days off. And I know some of you are probably saying, that just sounds dangerous, Pastor. That sounds unhealthy. That sounds like a heart attack by the age of 50. That doesn't sound right. But it is true. It doesn't matter if you have a day off. A pastor should be praying And I don't know about other pastors, but they're thinking about their sermon. They are thinking about what needs to be done. They're probably even thinking about what comes next week. That's why they call it a calling. It's not a job. 
Pastoral ministry is a calling, not a job. An older pastor was once asked, what is one of the greatest challenges you face as a pastor? The older pastor said this, the relentless return of Sunday. (laughs) That hits the nail on the head. Sunday is always coming. So what does that mean? Prayer and preparation and time in the Word never stops. A pastor without prayer is like a car without gas. Anybody ever run out of gas before? Has anybody ever run out of gas more than once? I hope not. I hope you learn from your first time with that. But what does a car do without gas? Where can it go? Nowhere. Nowhere. The same thing with a pastor. A pastor without prayer is going nowhere, especially in the disciplines of study and preaching. He might be able to put a sermon together, but it's going to be lifeless. It's going to be superficial. Moreover, the same is true for a church that doesn't keep the Word of God is the priority. We can have the best programs, the best care ministries, the best facilities, the best of everything. But church, listen to this. If the preaching of God's Word does not get the time and attention, I'm not going to say deserves. I'm going to say demands. The church will die. And I'll say this too. The church may be quite comfortable while it dies. Think of hospice care. What is hospice care? Hospice care is when someone, uh, they come in, they take care of someone who is dying. And we often hear it in terms like this. We're here to keep them comfortable. Folks, a, a pastor that devotes himself to all the wrong things can keep a church very, very comfortable. Can keep a church very, very happy can keep a church very, very content. But let me tell you this, that church will die comfortably. Preaching on this subject puts me on the spot because the American church, I'll just be honest with you, and I was conflicted in saying this. I had to have my wife listen to this sermon to make sure I was okay. The American church has all sorts of expectations for pastors that just clearly aren't in Scripture. They clearly aren't in Scripture. it's not in Scripture, but we we usually say, we've always done it that way before. We've always done it that way. That's what every good Baptist says, right? The priority set forth in Scripture is devotion to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. But Pastor Malone, you're not an apostle. This passage concerns apostles. You're right. You're right. This passage concerns apostles, but guess what? There aren't any more apostles. Uh, These were the only apostles there are. You might see billboards or or, or signs here and there saying somebody's an apostle of this and so's church, but just clearly wrong in their church polity. But if you study your Bible, you'll learn that these apostles early on functioned as pastors. And if you look at church history, many of these men went on to serve congregations as pastors. But if that's not satisfying for you, let's look at God's Word, what He has to say directly to the office of pastor when it comes to keeping priorities. 
The Apostle Paul commanded the following for the young pastor named Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 through 16. Paul says this to Timothy, Until I come, devote yourself. What does that word devote mean? Attend constantly to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So uh, that is all the elements of expository preaching. Reading God's Word, exhortation is application, and teaching is explanation. So you're, you're receiving the Word, it's being explained, but you're also going home knowing how it applies to you. So he's supposed to devote himself to those things. Then verse 14, he says this, Do not neglect the gift you have. Don't put this on the back burner, Timothy. Don't get so distracted, distracted with all these good things that definitely need to be done. Don't neglect the preaching of God's Word. Then verse 15, practice these things. It says take pain in these things. Immerse yourself in them. Why? So that all may see your progress. You know, that's a pretty tall order for preachers, that every single week you should be getting better and better and better at what you do. If I'm here 20 years from now, y'all should be like, man, you're way better than you were 20 years ago, okay? But listen, there's always going to be those bad Sundays. Pray today isn't one of those, all right? Um, but over time, you should be getting better and better because this is your discipline. This is what you practice and immerse yourself in. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Be persistent in this, Timothy. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Not presenting yourself to the church, but presenting yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. You cannot rightly handle the word of truth in 10 minutes. It takes a lot more time and care than that. Look at verse, uh, chapter 2, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Listen to this charge. Listen to how the Apostle Paul sets this up. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom. What is Paul about to say? That is a pretty big preface to a charge. He says this, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This passage conveys the following, that the preaching of God's Word is supposed to be the priority in church leadership. It's supposed to be the priority, I would say this, for pastors. Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean the pastor can't uh, give his attention to other things in the church. If, if you were to look at our average week, our pastors have to do a whole lot more than spending time in the Word of God. Some of y'all can breathe now. Y'all can oh, God. I just thought he said he's not going to do anything else. Okay? You know what's interesting about the apostles too? When they set this solution up, they're still working. They're still working. They, they, we're going to get to the solution a little bit. They're still working. They don't call these other men into leadership to go to, so they can go to the golf course. They don't call these other men to step up to lead so they can go to Starbucks and sip on lattes. 
They don't do that. They call these other men to serve so they can keep serving where they are. The priority, the main thing, the first thing, the constant thing is always going to be the ministry of the Word. The problem in Acts 6 consisted of widows being neglected. And this had to be resolved because God's Word spends so much time on caring for widows. I'm seeing some widows as I speak. But God's Word tells us this. Uh, it gives us uh, instructions in order in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 how to take care of widows. Uh, you're not supposed to just wing it and figure it out. God's Word gives us clear instructions. But also the book of James says this. All true religion is caring for orphans and widows. So these widows couldn't be neglected. This had to be resolved. However, while the widows cannot be neglected, folks, the Word of God can't be neglected either. So there had to be the right solution. And God gave these apostles the perfect solution. Let's look at number two, the solution. The solution was not to ignore the widows and hope the problem would go away. I think that's the way some churches try to fix things. I just hope this goes away. I hope this problem will fix itself. No! Uh, these apostles are proactive. Again, they call this business meeting. They call the full number of disciples. They were like, we have to take care of this. Folks, this is excellent leadership we're reading about in Acts chapter 6. However, the 12 apostles were not superhuman. The 12 apostles, guess what? Guess how long a day was for them? Guess how many hours in a day were for the apostles? 24 hours. How many hours in a day for you? 24 hours. They lived in the same day as we do. They, they, they had the same limitations on time. However, they were determined. They were not going to compromise in neglecting the Word of God and the preaching of God's Word. Now, their story was similar to the story of Moses in Exodus. We read about Moses early on when he was in the wilderness. He was trying to be Superman. He was trying to take care of everything, judging all these different cases amongst the people. And they would be doing this from sun up to sun down. But then I love old Jethro. Jethro. Is that, does anybody use the name Jethro anymore? That should be like the top baby name of 2023. All right? Jethro. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out. For this thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Moses couldn't do his job alone. The twelve apostles couldn't care for the church alone. They needed help. So that's where we see the solution in verse 3. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Notice that the apostles, uh, they're catching on to this delegation thing quickly. They don't even try to take ownership of choosing these men. They put it in the hands of the church. They said, you all go and select seven men. However, they give some guidelines. And I think they're really good guidelines. They didn't pick the first seven volunteers. They didn't just say, hey, who wants to take care of this? Uh, who wants to take care of the widows? Raise your hand. We got a sign-up sheet in the cross hall. They didn't say that. 
They didn't use the good old boy system. They didn't say, oh, man, I really like this guy. Let's get him to it. They didn't do that. They didn't pick someone just because they had a pulse. That's the way a lot of churches pick people to lead things. That's a horrible strategy, by the way. But they gave guidelines. They gave standards. So what were these standards for these seven men? First, I've already said this, they were to be men. This is a reminder that God has order in the home and within his church. God has called men to the role of leadership. They were to be of good repute. What does that mean? They're supposed to have a good reputation. These men could not bring reproach onto God's church. Thirdly, most importantly, they were to be full of the Spirit. Uh, these men are believers. They, they have the Holy Spirit indwelling within them. But uh, this, of course, means they were obedient and they were godly. When you saw these men, when you saw these seven guys, they didn't have the book of Galatians yet, but you saw the fruit of the Spirit radiating from these men's lives. They were full of the Holy Spirit. They were also to be full of wisdom. This task in front of them was not easy. This was not a petty task. This was a great task. They had to have the ability to fulfill this task. They needed wisdom. They had to have competence. If they weren't competent, what would these seven men be doing nonstop? Hey, Peter. Hey, Peter, what, what should I do with this little lady right over here? I don't, I don't know what to do. Uh, hey, John, what would you do with this one? Hey, hey, Thomas, what would you do over here? They didn't have time for that. These men needed to be wise. They needed to be competent. And the apostles were not going to be micromanagers. They were going to let them take care of this need. But speaking of wisdom, these men were dealing with the most precious group within the church. They were dealing with the widows. Now, I'm not being mean or negative in saying this, but great wisdom is needed when it comes to serving widows. This is a very sensitive, a very needy group within the church, especially in this time. These seven men would need wisdom in their dealings with these widows. Folks, have you ever seen anybody be unwise when serving somebody? I've seen some ministers uh, that just, they don't know how to have wisdom in dealing with certain people, especially, I'm, I just say little old ladies in the church. Uh, that you got to have wisdom. you got to have wisdom. But can I say this? you got to have wisdom because not all of these widows were older. Yeah, there were probably younger women involved in this group. These men had to be wise. They had to set boundaries because temptation was there. So they had to be wise. The text doesn't say this. Excuse me. Um, let's, let's look here. Finding seven godly men was the solution, but how did the people respond to this solution? Look at verse 5. It says the people were pleased. It said some, does it say some of the people were pleased? Did it say they took a vote and they just had the majority that were pleased? It said the whole gathering was pleased. They were so pleased with what the apostles had presented to them. If this was a business meeting, you know what they call that? A unanimous vote. Everybody was on the same page. Verse 5 goes on to give us the names of these godly men. It says, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. 
You know what's interesting about all these men? They were all Greek. And if you look at the church at this time, the Greeks were the minority in the church. So you had this, the, the church all together voted on these men, and they voted on seven men that were Greek to take care of this situation. This shows great unity within the church. But let's go back. Who had the problem in the first place? The Greeks. The Greeks. So it only made sense to choose seven Greeks to take care of this situation. While many people believe that these are the first deacons in Scripture, the word deacon is found nowhere in chapter 6. We don't see that until later in, in the New Testament. But I would say this. I believe this is a prototype of the role of deacon. Stephen and Philip are the only men we learn more about uh, later. The other five are never mentioned again. Stephen, we're going to read about him next in chapter 6. He's going to be a big deal. Uh, Philip, we're going to see him later in the book of Acts chapter 8. And I've got to say this because it's been driving me crazy all week. I misspoke last week when I was going over the, the 12 apostles and the way that each of them died. There was indeed an apostle named Philip. And what I shared with you is, is indeed what church tradition says how the Apostle Philip died. But I gave him the attributes of this Philip. I combined the two people. That messed, I messed up, and that's been driving me crazy all week. So I don't want to confuse you. These were two different men. There was an Apostle named Philip. The Philip we read here of the seven, he is known as Philip the Evangelist. Philip the Evangelist. Let's look at verse 6. These they set before the Apostles. And they prayed and laid their hands on them. The church selected these men, but the apostles confirmed their selection. This is the first occasion in the New Testament where we see the laying on of hands. And this signified the identification and affirmation of the church with these men and the support of their ministry. We see a similar process when we ordain pastors and deacons even today. So the apostles, they provide this wonderful solution, but... Let's see how good of a solution it is. You can only tell, you can only grade a solution by looking at the result. Let's look at the result. What was the result of properly taking care of this situation? They were proactive. They took care of the widow problem. But they were also maintaining the priorities of staying true to their calling. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Sounds like a pretty good result to me. Sounds like a pretty good result. And properly caring for this situation, the apostles were able to stay focused on their calling, prayer, and the ministry of the Word. Therefore, the Word of God increased. But what happened when the Word of God increased? Meaning that it kept going forth. People were getting saved. The church was growing. Disciples were increasing, multiplied greatly. The word went forth and more, more people got saved. Let's backtrack. Let's go back to chapter 6, verse 1. How does this story begin? How does this story begin? Chapter 6, verse 1. It said the number of disciples continued to increase. This story starts with growth. It ends with growth. But let's go back to the preceding verse uh, right before chapter 6, verse 1. What was, take, what was going on in the church to make this place grow? Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 42. This is what was taking place. Every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. 
The church grew because the Word grew. (laughs) Where the Word increased, disciples increased. When the Word of God is given priority in the church, the results are always awesome. People get saved and the church grows. Hear me very clearly, West Acres Baptist Church. Programs do not grow a church. Concerts do not grow a church. All these other little things that are popular today do not grow a church. I'll say this. Fried chicken fellowships are really, really good. But they don't grow a church. They grow something. But they don't grow a church. You know what grows a church? The Word of God. The Word of God. Look at the last part of verse 7. This is, really, this is really cool. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is significant because where is Peter, where have Peter and the apostles been preaching all this time? They've been going to the temple. And where do the priests hang out? The temple. So as the apostles were able to dedicate all their time to preaching and teaching God's word, you had these priests in the background hearing everything they had to say. You know what's great? Many of them came to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. They say there's an estimate at this time in history, the temple, there could have been 8,000 priests attached to this temple. They didn't serve every single day. They they, kind of had a rotation. But it says, because the Word of God was able to go forth, a great many of these trusted Christ. All of this happened because problems were handled correctly and priorities were not compromised. I don't know about you, but I think the apostles made the right decision. In fact, if they didn't make the right decision, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be here today. They stayed true to their calling. They stayed true to their priorities. Moreover, they didn't go hire other apostles. They empowered the church to help the church. They empowered the church to serve the church. And this isn't an isolated view, but this is the model set forth in the New Testament. Look at me at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, also known as pastors, and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Do you know what that means, church? Everyone in the church is called to serve. I heard one preacher say it like this, your church shouldn't be the place where you go to listen to sermons. Your church is the place you go to serve. You go to serve. Everyone is called to serve and everyone has been given a gift to serve. You don't want the, think of the body of Christ. God gave us this perfect illustration of a body. And I'm gonna go ahead and say this, I'm the, I'm the big toe because mine's really ugly. You don't want the big toe doing everything because the big toe's not going to be able to do everything. It's going to be a great disservice to the church. So we don't need to set the church up for failure in having just a few people do everything. But we need to empower, we need to expect. I said, we, we, we put this out every time someone comes to join this fellowship. You are not coming here to sit. You're coming to serve because this is the body of Christ. 
And I don't know about you, but last time I checked, when you've got something on your body that's dead, what, is, what do doctors do? They get rid of it. Okay? Well, we don't need dead parts around here. We need, if you're alive and well, we need you serving. So I say this, may West Acres Baptist Church be a church that keeps its priorities in order. May we be a church that keeps God's word at the top. May we be a church, I'm going to go Navy on you, all hands on deck for Jesus. Let's pray.